just a reminder, here at That's So Chronic, we are dedicated to sharing personal stories. We are not advocating any type of treatment, therapy, procedure or intervention. Everyone is unique, so please seek professional medical advice before making any decisions for yourself or for others. Welcome to That's So Chronic, the podcast where I, Jess Bryan, interview some incredible people from around the world that are thriving and sometimes only just surviving with chronic illnesses, life-changing injuries, and potentially disastrous diagnoses. While I was in London for a few days in July, I was able to sit down with Miranda Allen and chat about her journey of living with a diagnosis of ME slash CFS or myalgic encephalomyelitis slash chronic fatigue syndrome. In this episode, Miranda looks back with hindsight and explains where it's possible her symptoms began, how the years of not really knowing what was going on felt like, how she got a diagnosis, her day-to-day symptoms, how she manages them, and her latest creative endeavour. Some of you might remember Miranda from a previous That's So episode, but we didn't get to chat too much about her story then, so I'm really excited to be able to bring you this episode with a lot more information today. Welcome to That's So Chronic. This is the first interview that I have done for That's So Chronic in person, not in New Zealand. So this is like 100% That's So Chronic has gone global. So I'm very excited to be in London chatting with you today, Miranda. Thank you so much for being here. Thank you for coming to London to see me. It's specifically for yeah. this podcast episode. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's perfect. Now, welcome back to the podcast, because if listeners have been listening for a little while, they might recognize your voice, your name from a previous That's So episode where we talked about the documentary Unrest. But today, it's all about you, baby. We will be chatting about your diagnosis of myalgic encephalomyelitis, or ME. Uh, slash CFS chronic fatigue syndrome. So, oh my goodness, where do we start? If someone didn't listen to that episode and they're like, Miranda Allen, who is Miranda Allen? How would you describe who you are? Oh my God, I prepped to describe me. I didn't prep to describe me. <laughs> um, okay, who am I? Uh, I'm Canadian. Yes. I was a classical theater actor. I was an escape artist. I was all kinds of like really physical, traveling the world. Mm-hmm. I'm a person who loves creativity and adventure. Yes. Um, and then the universe dished me a new challenge. Yes. M-E. So to start with, with hindsight, looking mm. back, where do you think symptoms started for you? This is a tricky one for me to answer. I think that symptoms started seriously affecting my life in 2017. Mm-hmm. Performing at the Glastonbury Festival in the UK, went back to Canada, was really ill and just... That's when, like, the the big struggle started. Yeah. But it, it's hard to identify whether or not that was a... Was the proper beginning of it or whether it's something I've actually had since I was very young and it right. became exasperated, exasper- exacerbated yeah. <laughs> at that point. Because some of the symptoms like constant respiratory issues, constant digestive issues, constant fatigue, I've had ever since I was really little and, and mm. I was really prone to infection when I was a kid. So it's possible that it started when I was much younger. Yeah. Because when did we meet? What year would that have been? 
Would that have been 2017? Do we meet in Canada or Australia or New Zealand? I don't actually know. Isn't that shocking? Yeah. <laughs> I, th- I know, no, no, no. I think we met in Australia. Maybe Adelaide. Yeah. So when did I first go to Adelaide? Like maybe 2016 or 2017? Yeah. Because I remember when I first met you, like that was something that I knew about you was that you were prone to respiratory tract mm. infections. So like mm-hmm. if that is related, that definitely yeah makes sense. Yeah. One of the things that I remember distinctly from being a kid is that like I was so frustrated all the time that other kids could have sleepovers on Saturday nights. <sighs> Yeah. Because my mom was like, sorry, Miranda, you just need longer to recover before school than everyone else. Oh. Yeah. Oh, my God. So I could only have sleepovers on Friday nights, and I was so frustrated. That's interesting. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Okay. And so then when did symptoms really start to go, hang on, what's happening? Yeah. We need to sort this out. So 2017 was when, like, things dialed up, and I started going to doctors. Okay. And they were like, you're fine. Uh. And... I think it was late 2018 when I really started to struggle with like like walking and mm-hmm. talking and that's when I got diagnosed with clinical burnout. Ah, uh, yes. And still went to Australia for Adelaide in 2019 because <laughs> I was like, yeah, yeah, I'll only work three days a week for 12 hours a day. Yeah. It's crazy when I look back on that time yeah. and think about like, the level of fatigue that I was pushing Mm. myself through life with every day. And you had like a manager position that year. You were like running the whole street stuff. So it's like, yeah, you had responsibilities. It's not like you were just working and you could just not work if you didn't want to. You were definitely like, you had to be there. And then 2019 after Adelaide, I, the world just stopped. Like I had to cancel most of the rest of my work for the rest of the year my mother had to come live with my partner and I for a period of time to help look after me. I couldn't walk. Like, I was literally crawling to the toilet. Sometimes I couldn't speak. There was a period of time where I couldn't swallow properly, which mm-hmm. is terrifying. Yeah. And still, they were like, I think you just need a rest. Oh, wow. Yeah. So what would, like, day-to-day symptoms look like during that period? So extreme, extreme debilitating fatigue. The kind of fatigue where, like, you're you're lying on the couch and you're lying on your elbow in a way that's a little uncomfortable and you know that if you move your arm, like, an inch, it will not hurt as much, but you literally are debating in your head for, like, five minutes whether or not you can find the energy to move yeah. your arm an inch. <laughs> that level of fatigue. Yeah. Headaches, muscle, like, all-over muscle pain, joint pain, nerve pain memory loss um in crazy brain fog where you know someone would ask me a question and I would just stare at them and inside my head would just be like yeah emotional dysregulation I felt like I was four years old yeah yeah and my my nervous system was so intensely dialed up so like Richard or my mom would make me something to eat and they put it in front of me and I would try to eat it and I would want to eat it. I would genuinely want to eat it, but I would start sobbing because the texture made me gag. And I knew like it didn't make any sense, right? Or someone would like hit a plate with their fork too loud and I would just start sobbing because it was like so painful for my nervous system. Mm -hmm. And any tiny, tiny issue felt like the sky was falling yeah and that and that that particular one of like not being able to handle 
even small incidents of stress, I feel like that was really building up for several years. Yeah. Yeah, those are some of the symptoms. Was it scary? It was terrifying. Mm. Also, but I think it was, I think that period of time in some ways was harder for my partner, Richard. Okay. Because I was like too tired to be thinking about what this meant. Yeah. You know? <laughs> yeah. I was just like, I gotta pee. And that's a long hallway to crawl down. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And so then what happens next? I mean, the doctors are saying it's clinical burnout. You just yeah. need to rest. I'm guessing that you're like, okay, well, I've done that now. Yeah. What now? So I so I rested mm-hmm. for six months. And I also kept pushing myself to exercise. Every time I felt I could, I would try to walk around the block and it would just make me sicker. Yeah. But I rested the best I could. And then that summer, I was like, cool, I've rested. Yeah. Um, I'm going to go do this gig at this festival. Yeah. <laughs> and I was like a wind-up toy. Like, I would put my costume on, put on my makeup, lie down. And then Richard would push my gear to the gig for me mm. and, like, set my gear up on the stage for me. Wow. And I would just be there, like, just, like, deflated, right? And then he'd be like, hey, it's time. And I'd just be like, Zhoop. Yeah. Hey! And I would put everything I had into just getting through this 45 minutes, come off stage and just... And uh, and then he would gather all my things up and I would just go home and like sleep. This might be like a bit of a strange personal question, mm. but like because you're feeling so rubbish with mm-hmm. everything that's going on, what made you think, oh, I, I have to go and do this gig? Like, what was driving you to do that? I think that I had been getting worse and worse and worse for so many years that my concept, I had forgotten what health was. Okay. And I had been so sick that every time I got a tiny bit better, I was Mm -hmm. like, this is better. Okay. I'm so much better now. Yeah. (laughs) Without thinking about it in the context of, like, how bad it was. Mm. Yeah. And so I kind of bounced around doing that for a few years because they medicine still couldn't tell me what was wrong with me yeah so for a few years I just kept being like okay I guess I need more rest yeah. okay I'm rested now I'll go back to work now. yeah yeah um, and like that this is your normal yeah and so okay well I guess I operate on this normal then and still do all the things that you used to yeah do. but it would always end up in like a, mm. a big crash again yeah um never not quite as bad as like well not usually quite as bad as like not being able to walk and stuff mm-hmm. again and I was constantly trying to do less. Yeah. I just had been working so hard and so ambitious for so long that my concept of less was also yeah, like a disproportionate. Lo- a lot for us normal yeah, people. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. So I kind of did that for a while. And in some ways, the pandemic was actually like a good thing for me. Because I was going to say, so what time is all of this happening? Are we in 2020? So 2019, I'm in Adelaide and then I... I take time off until the Northern Hemisphere summer. So like July, I think I did a couple festivals and then was just like mm-hmm. crashed, rested for a month and then did an indoor play at the Fringe where I was only the main character that had to be on stage the whole time. Yeah. <laughs> um, I saw that play. Oh, yeah. So good. Yeah. So good. I think about it a lot, actually. Anyway. It was called Minerva. It was about a escape artist who was a rival of Harry Houdini. You can look it up. It's very cool. So good. So then, yeah. And then I ended up having to rest again for like a whole bunch of months. So then the winter, Northern Hemisphere winter of 2019, after I've had another big rest, another big crash, I'm like, okay, this time I'm better. (laughs) I'll just play Brutus and Julius Caesar. Oh my God. (laughs) (laughs) While preparing 
a barrel escape act for Penn and Teller. Yeah. Um, but it's okay because I also got offered a role in A Midsummer Night's Dream and I turned that one down. Yeah, so I'm so doing I mean, less. Yeah. <laughs> and I, and yeah, it was tough. Between Caesar and going to Vegas to shoot the barrel, I did have a little bit of downtime, but mm-hmm. I was still, it was hard. It was a lot. We shot this escape act where I did an escape act from a 60 gallon barrel of red wine which we will link in the show notes so you can go and check it out <laughs> we shot this for Penn and Teller Footloose in Las Vegas two days before the world shut down the first person that said oh it's very nice to meet you but I won't shake your hand to me uh, in the pandemic was Teller wow <laughs> he was the first person to offer me an awkward <laughs> elbow bump <laughs> yes I love that yeah yeah, and so we shot that. I was obviously, I'm so glad I did it. Yeah. But I was obviously exhausted afterwards. Yeah. Flew back to Canada, like, the next day. Got in fairly late at night. I woke up the day after that, and Justin Trudeau was like, it's a global pandemic. Like, yeah. Canadians, it's time to come home. Yeah. And also, if you've just gotten home from another country, you're in quarantine. Oh, wow. And I had to call Liz Hobbs and be yeah. like, um, apparently I'm in quarantine can you get me some groceries? Yeah. Oh my gosh. Shout out Liz. Yeah. I'm not sure if Liz is listening, but love you, Liz. Love you, Liz. <laughs> yeah. And so the pandemic, um, as horrible as it was, was this like forced yeah. break for me. Yeah. Brilliant. Where like no one got to be an entertainer for a while. Yeah. Great timing. Yes. And so we, um, yeah, so that was, that was good. It meant I just had to chill yeah. for a while. Um, but we did have a friend living with us during the pandemic who was like, let's make the best Zoom show ever. I was about to say, rest, <laughs> kind of, because you yeah. did make a Zoom show. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Yeah. It took us a bit before we started on the Zoom show. Yeah. Before Carissa got interested in the Zoom show, like, I think she was like waiting and seeing where the Zoom medium was yeah. going. And once it got interesting enough, she's like, okay, we're getting into it. Yeah, we're doing it. Yeah. So we definitely found ways to make ourselves over busy again. Mm. But I did take a good like six or nine months there of just like trying to garden in my apartment. Yeah. And so then during this time, are you chatting to medical professionals and trying to figure out like, hey, well, I rested and this is still continuing? So mostly um, by this time, fortunately, I had a a pretty good GP. Mm -hmm. And mostly the way that we were approaching it was like there was like a complex knot that we were trying to undo. Like you've got a rope that's like been in a Mm. box for too long and it's... Fairy lights. Yeah, yeah, fairy (laughs) lights, right? And you just have to kind of like deal with one mix up at a time. Yeah. And so first she was like rest... Okay. And then one of the things she wanted to do was focus on getting me off antibiotics because I had been having so many respiratory infections. Sometimes I would be on antibiotics 10 or 12 times a year. Yeah. That is not good. No. So yeah, so she put me on like a lot of control things for asthma to try and help get my, just, just get me off of antibiotics. Yeah. And try and get my guts being guts again. Yeah. Uh, Which I think I'm probably, I mean, I was on antibiotics frequently ever since I was like a baby yeah so I don't think I've ever really had a chance to get like a good healthy Mm -hmm. gut microbiome going Mm -hmm. so just gotta keep eating that kimchi I guess yeah yeah. and then oh yeah when we were working on the respiratory infections too I started wearing masks on planes in 2018 yeah so before the uh before it was cool yeah yeah 
which is this is silly but there was this awesome company that made these amazing reusable n95 masks that had such great designs and they went out of business just before the pandemic no yes i was heartbroken (laughs) heartbroken and then we started dealing with like the dizziness and what kind of seemed like orthostatic intolerance my scores were never quite enough to diagnose POTS. Mm-hmm. Though I'm back on that train now, we might be heading towards a POTS diagnosis. Okay. So just trying to pick apart like the little, just all the little pieces one at a time. Yeah. And still no like diagnosis of ME. No. To be fair, I think at one point she might have said to me, we might want to look into chronic fatigue syndrome at some point. And mm-hmm. I think I went like, Ugh, yeah, no. Um, <laughs> we'll try the other things. Yeah, yeah. Which, I mean, like, some of the statistics, a lot of the research for ME is pretty limited because there's a lot of stigma and a lack of funding. And I can talk about burden of disease statistics after if you want. It's really <laughs> interesting. But the thing I wish someone had said to me was some of the statistics show that If you identify ME in the first five years that you have it, you're likely to make a a strong, like a better recovery. And I I do kind of wish that at some point someone had said like, okay, yep, we can put a pin in that. But just so you know, you've been sick for three years now. Yeah. We might want to circle back to it sooner rather than later. Yeah. So when did the diagnosis happen? (laughs) Okay. So Richard and I moved to the UK in the fall of 2021. Mm. And... We'd been wrapping up this crazy Zoom show and like the Zoom show had blown up, right? Like we were doing yeah. shows for David Copperfield. Yeah. And it was a trip. It was amazing. Yeah. It was a trip. We'd been wrapping up the Zoom show, getting ready to move to England. I had a friend who had had like a personal crisis who I had helped move during the time I was trying to move. Yeah. We did an international move. And then we're in London trying to find a flat, which is a special kind of yeah. hell. <laughs> So we move in here and then it's November and so like Christmas gig season is starting. So I've barely still walked for a whole pandemic and suddenly I'm taking the train. I get connected with some, with a lovely, lovely still walking company here. Yeah. But suddenly I'm taking the train to like Manchester or wherever every (laughs) weekend with like kilos and kilos of stuff. Yeah. Yeah. And doing like, you know, three hours of still walking and then training back to London. Mm. And it did not go well ultimately. Um, and I had this massive relapse. Okay. I was the sickest I had been since 2019. Yeah. So at first I was like, okay, I just got to rest. We'll take a break because I'm still dealing with whatever this burnout is. Mm. And then after two or three weeks, it didn't get better. And so I went to my GP here because I had, when I moved here, I had been smart. I was like, I'm an ill person. Yeah. Okay. I don't know why, but I am sick. So I had printouts of all my medical records. Excellent. As soon as I got here, I found a GP and had an appointment to just be like, I'm a weird, sick person. I made, like, a medical CV. Yeah, perfect. Yeah, it's, like, a one page of, like, (laughs) family history, everything. It's great. I showed it to Richard's dad, who's a retired doctor, and he was like, I wish a patient had showed me one I was about to say, I bet there's doctors listening being like, excellent. (laughs) Feel free to do that. (laughs) So after a few weeks, it was, now we're into, like, December, early January. I make an appointment with my GP. And before I go to the appointment with my GP... Resuming with Richard's parents. Mm. Richard's father being a retired doctor of internal medicine. Mm. It's called different things in different countries, but that's the guy you get sent to when there's weird things wrong with you and they can't figure out how it's all connecting. Yes. It's like house. Yeah. Yeah. Um, So good. (laughs) Without the Vicodin. Yeah. Um, And resuming with Richard's dad and Richard's dad starts going, oh, you know, it's really interesting. The condition that Miranda has 
in the UK, it's called something different. It's called ME for myalgic encephalomyelitis or myalgic encephalomyopathy. Yeah, it's very interesting because, and we're like, wait, what are Whoa. you talking about? Miranda doesn't have a diagnosed condition. And he's like, yeah, no, it's called something different in North America, but in the UK, it's called ME. It's very similar to long COVID. And Richard's like, Miranda's never had COVID. And he's like, no, no, no it's not long COVID. It's related to long COVID. It's a post-viral condition. But they call it ME in the UK. And he just starts rattling off random interesting facts about ME, assuming I had already been diagnosed with this thing. Yeah. And so I just grabbed the other laptop yeah. and just Googled. <laughs> um, and was like, oh my God, not only is this all of my weird, seemingly disparate symptoms, mm -hmm. the description of what mild, moderate, and severe look like, those are the ways in which my symptoms progress and like yeah. worsen and recede. Yeah. And so when I went to my doctor and was like, these are all the things I'm dealing with, she was like, so what do you think it is? And I was like, okay, let me tell you about this weird Zoom call with my father-in-law. Yeah. And she's like, that is what I think as well. Ah. So that was January of 2022. It took me 13 months to get into the fatigue services yeah. clinic, partially because the way that it works here with referrals and stuff is if the GP refers you, but hasn't sent all of the requested, required tests for the referral, when that referral gets sent back to the GP, the electronic referral system here in the UK doesn't notify the GP. Yeah. And so frequently for months at a time, my referral was just getting sort of lost, mm. like forgotten. Yeah. And that was the part of my journey where I had to learn how to be a good patient, like yeah. a, like an assertive patient. I had to learn. I have ADHD. Learning how to keep records was hard. Yeah. But learning how to keep records. Learning how to put in my calendar, like, have I heard back about this thing? Yeah. Like, yeah. making sure that I got, with all the hospitals and clinics and blood test places, everything, making sure that they had on file that I wanted copies of yeah. every letter. Yeah. Right? Mm -hmm. um, because the GPs have so little time and mm. often they just don't read the requirements yeah so my referral got sent back three times oh no before i actually had the correct blood tests done okay. and all of the boxes on the forum ticked yeah that needed to be ticked wow uh, so if we backtrack just slightly clinical burnout mm. i say with you know bunny rabbit quotation marks is that what they're calling emmy in north america no, it is chronic fatigue syndrome. Oh, okay. So yeah. it still wasn't like you had been told that no. that's what you had there. No. It was just, yeah, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I hadn't been diagnosed. Richard's dad just was like, well, obviously she's got this. <laughs> <laughs> oh uh, my God, so good. Yeah, right? Where do I get a Richard's dad? Right? <laughs> he's all, I think also too, because he's retired, it's like, he's, now he's just like, he's just like kind of a medical geek now. Yeah, I love that. Yeah. Which is really fun. Oh, so good. Okay, so you eventually get into the fatigue services mm -hmm. here in the UK. Mm -hmm. During that time, 13 months, you relapse pretty hardcore. Yeah. And then there's 13 months until you get into the service. Mm -hmm. What does that year look like? So because at that point I had had my GP say, let's call this suspected ME, mm -hmm. that gave me somewhere to start from. Like okay. gave me a little bit of like, arr, like something to yeah. bite into. Yeah. And so I found the ME Association. I found Action for ME, which are oh, both awesome. really helpful charities um, in terms of resources and information. Yeah. And I started reading everything I could. Yeah. And just doing the like deep dive, which is a weird thing when you have a condition where not a lot is known with certainty. Yeah. Because I remember trying to tell my mom, like, I've learned this and I've learned this and this is connected to this. And everyone just seems so suspicious mm. because... Emmy is, 
if I can give a brief synopsis of what it is. Yes, absolutely. So it's a neurological condition that affects the autonomic nervous system, which is the part of the nervous system that does all the subconscious body stuff. Yes, like your heart is beating and yeah. that the oxygen and all of that stuff. Yes, exactly. Yeah, and you're digesting yes, and your yeah. uh, uh, pupils are adjusting to light, all yeah. that. And it also affects the ability of the cells to create energy. Mm-hmm. It interrupts the energy production cycle. Is this mitochondria? The mitochondria. The powerhouse of the good. cell. I got an A in biology. Nice. <laughs> Heck yes. I got distracted. Sorry. No, because earlier today I was thinking about how to explain it to a friend's kid. And I was like, okay. Yeah. So everyone has these tiny energy factories. Yes. <laughs> but it's a, it's a, Complex fluctuating condition. Mm. Complex meaning that it affects many systems in the body. Fluctuating meaning that the symptoms improve and get worse and improve and get worse. And not just all together either. Like the way I describe it is that sometimes the symptoms kind of mix and match. So you know how like cookies and cake are basically the same ingredients in different ratios? Sometimes my body's like, let's make symptom cookies. Let's make symptom cake. (laughs) And so I think that trying to describe trying to get my head around and then describe to other people how all these things were related. Mm. It just sounds crazy mm. because it's, it's way too complex. Yeah. Um, so yeah, it was, it was weird. It was, it took me a long time before I developed a succinct explanation Yeah. and was able to kind of get my friends and family to come along. Yeah. And there's also too, just like, because the pathology, like what we know a lot of things that happen in ME. Yeah. But we don't understand the sequence or the order or the cause, the effect. Mm -hmm. And so it's kind of just like this big vomit of information that science has yet to organize into a logical sequence. Yeah. So, yeah. So I was trying to get my head around how how it worked and what that meant for me and what I could do. Yeah. And there's not a lot of information out there about how to manage ME. Mm. There's no treatment. Yep. There's no cure. Mm-hmm. It can be managed with rest and pacing. But that, the like literal hands-on details of how to do that is hard to find and figure out. Okay. Though I have a new tool now that I'll tell you about Yes. It. So I was trying to figure that out. It was really hard. And also to like the level of energy that I had, my baseline was so low yeah. that like... I couldn't really leave the apartment, so I was going, but I was going crazy. So every few days, I was still walking to the coffee shop at the end of the street, even though it exhausted me because I needed to see other people. Richard mm. was out at school all day yeah. doing his master's. And then this guy I knew in Canada um, who had several stages of diabetic amputations on his legs, Yeah, but he was from Scotland. I won't try to do the accent, but just imagine yeah. this in a Scottish accent. He finds out that I'm like st- stuck at home so much and having a hard time, and he goes, don't be a bloody idiot. Just get a wheelchair. <laughs> I wish someone had told me that and I didn't wait so long. Yeah. And I was like, oh my God, I can just get a wheelchair? Yeah. (laughs) And I said to Richard, I was like, hey, you know, we haven't really been able to go out at all on the weekends. Like I haven't left the house in five months other than to go to the coffee shop. Mm -hmm. What would you think about like if we just rented a wheelchair one weekend so we could go do some things? It was so interesting because he looked at me and he was like, oh, like, do you think... Like, has it come to that? Mm. Is it that serious? And I was like, Richard, I haven't left this street mm. in five months. He's like, right. 
can I push you up Hampstead Heath for a workout? <laughs> and he did. He pushed me up Hampstead Heath and I was like giggling and laughing and screaming. Yeah. And all the old ladies were looking at me like, oh my God, where do I get me one of those? <laughs> it was amazing. <laughs> it was so good. Yeah. And so we had like just a manual push wheelchair for yeah. a while. And that absolutely opened up my world again. Yes. Right? Amazing. And then I wasn't burning myself out trying to walk to the coffee shop yeah. anymore. Right? Um, and I was still walking to the coffee shop sometimes on good days, but so eventually my family was like, mm, I think we need to get you a power wheelchair. Yeah. Yeah. Because I couldn't, at this point I couldn't go out without Richard because yeah. I didn't have the strength to yeah. operate the manual wheelchair myself. Yeah. Um, I had applied, asked my doctor to refer me to wheelchair services, but turns out she didn't check all the boxes on that referral uh, either. Yeah. Yay. <laughs> some boxes. Yay. Uh, and also getting power chairs is really yeah. difficult it's all complicated yeah so i got my wheelchair mm-hmm. which i love very much yeah it's a lightweight folding electric wheelchair amazing i have decked it out to be so beautiful yeah um and so did you have to pay for that yes. yourself yeah my family sort of yeah chipped in put the money together for that which i'm incredibly grateful for yeah um also my wheelchair is from this awesome company in wales called easy go it's like e-e-z-e-e go okay and as I understand it, because I was looking, when I was looking online for wheelchairs, like, so few places actually, like, are very helpful. Yeah. You'd yeah. think they'd be helpful. Yeah. <laughs> they don't know anything about people's, like, mobility needs. Yeah. Yeah. And then I found this this place in Wales, and as I understand it, if I remember correctly, the guy, one of the guys that started it was an architect who had a spinal injury playing rugby. Mm. And then when he started looking for a wheelchair for him, he was like, these are all terrible. Yeah. I can do better than this. Oh, wow. Yeah. And so it's this really lovely company that, like, they're so, like, helpful yeah. and hands-on and so kind to talk to. And the chairs they make are all really lightweight folding electric wheelchairs. Mm-hmm. So I hope that's okay that I'm saying that. Oh, but of just course. Like, Absolutely. They're so good. I'll pop their website in the show notes as well if anyone's on this side of the world and they want to check it out. Yeah. Okay. Right. So then in terms of management... Mm-hmm. Accessing fatigue services, did mm-hmm. that open some more doors to trying to make life a little bit easier? Or was it things that you were able to implement yourself that has made a bit of a difference? Okay. So. <laughs> <laughs> the thing with Emmy is that there you, there was a lot of bad information about Emmy for a long time. Mm-hmm. And quite recently, the UK has gone, oh, a lot of the things that we used to say were harmful. Yeah. So quite recently, like I think it was like April or October of 2021, the guidelines for ME in the UK were finally updated to say it is not a psychological disease. Mm -hmm. It is a physiological condition affecting the nervous system. It is a neurological, physiological condition. Yeah. But what kind of happened is like they took out the bad stuff and they don't have a lot of new information to put in. What that means is that no one really wants to take on the liability of like telling people to do things that yeah. isn't supported by enough science yet. Yeah. And so I did this 10 week online group course okay. with uh, fatigue services at the Royal Free Hospital. Yeah. That was mostly inspired by ACT therapy, which is acceptance and commitment therapy. It's, it's different from CBT. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I found it very helpful. Yeah. So even though Emmy isn't, we were talking about this yeah, earlier, yeah. it's not a psychological condition, it's a physiological condition, but living with it can be very difficult and cause a lot of psychological stress, 
that stress goes into your body. Yeah. It's fatiguing. It makes your physiological symptoms worse. Yeah. So by by having some support to help reconcile what's going in going on in your body, it can help like just make it emotionally easier, which then can yeah. make it easier to move forward and, yeah. and look after your body and stuff. So I really appreciated that course. Okay. Like I said, it was mostly it was like a blend of some sort of ways of looking at things and ACT stuff, some information about how to communicate about the condition, how to, like, what is physiologically going on yeah. in the condition. So my experience of that is it was um, mostly that it was, it was like it was validating for mm-hmm. a lot of the things I had already learned and already been working on. Yep. It was clarifying in that it helped make some things more, more specific. And then it, it gave me... Because I had done so much reading and research, but I wasn't quite sure if I was implementing things properly. Yeah. yeah. Or if I was misunderstanding things. Mm-hmm. So it was validating, it was clarifying, and then it it kind of just helped me on the being okay with it part. Yeah. yeah. Which was which was really nice. Yeah. But they don't want to deal with any medical stuff. Yeah. So like my GP was like, oh, like I'm not sure how your ADHD meds are affecting your ME. Maybe you can talk to the specialists about that. And they were like, nope. Ah, okay. So that was a bit frustrating, but I do think that it's a great program and I wish it was available to more people. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And I guess because like, it sounds as though nobody really wants to necessarily say, oh yeah, do this because science says that this is definitely going to help, but you do still have symptoms that need to be managed, whether that's like, no matter why this has happened... You still need to manage yeah. that symptom. So how do you find navigating life managing symptoms, I suppose? You know, I was... So I have this new app. Okay. And I was showing it to my neighbor in the coffee shop the other day. And I was showing her how cool it was and how it works. And she goes... And, and I think I was showing her how cool it was and how it works. And then I was like, oh, and then there's my other two apps that I use for other kinds of symptoms and, and sleep tracking and this and that. And she mm. looks at me and she goes, how much time do you spend tracking <laughs> symptoms? And I was like, oh, I don't... I don't know. I thought about it and it's like, oh my God, it's probably, if I were to add it up, it's probably at least like an hour or 90 minutes of like focus time a day. Mm-hmm. Plus the fact that I am never not thinking about it. Yeah. 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 So it's, it's just so many little things in terms okay. of managing symptoms, right? It's like sitting down in the shower. Mm-hmm. Um, I, there are some supplements that I take now. We also, yeah, we've made changes to my ADHD meds to better support my ME. I also got diagnosed with suspected endometriosis, mm-hmm. which has probably been contributing to the fatigue and inflammation and abdominal pain and body pain and emotional dysregulation. Yeah. All those kinds of things. Before we carry on with the interview, I wanted to quickly jump in and say thanks for listening to this episode of That's So Chronic. If you are interested in finding out a bit more about the behind the scenes of the podcast or a bit more about me, I'd love to have you following along over on Instagram or TikTok. I'm at That's So Chronic. I love being able to connect on social media and have conversations about what's going on for you or things that we've discussed in these episodes. So if you're already following over there, Thanks so much for being there. All right, back to the interview. So it's it's kind of almost like I'm back to that p- slowly picking apart the fairy lights thing. Yeah. It's just that now I have a little bit more 
information and stuff. Yeah, like you know where the knots are. Yeah. <laughs> I think the big thing is that like I've just had to make a lot of lifestyle changes. Yeah. The size of what I consider it, like my perspective on what is a task has changed a lot. Yeah. My perspective on what fits in a day has changed a lot. I often say that I have four usable hours in the day and yeah. people go, that's heaps. And I'm like, no, no, no. That's not for functional hours. Yeah. <laughs> that's four hours where I get to do with my time. And then there's a whole bunch of conditions on what those yeah. things can be. <laughs> yeah. You know, things like I said to a friend a while ago, like, oh, why don't you, like, if you want to, like, oh, you want to hang out? That'd be great. I've been really curious about stand-up comedy lately. Why don't we go watch, like, a new material night at a pub near my place? And she was like, oh, my God, let me take you to the show in the West End. And uh, I was like, I, yeah. I cannot, I f- literally cannot do that. She's like, don't worry, we'll go on a Sunday. It'll be quieter. And <laughs> I was like, I physically cannot go that far. Yeah. I I, I can't handle the noise and the hustle and the bustle yeah. and the, the, the lights and... And the cobblestone streets. Oh, my God. <laughs> Wheelchairs. Yeah. Naps. I'm, yeah. Ba- I'm really bad at napping. Yeah. But okay. it's really important to, like, lie down and yes. pretend to nap. Yeah. So sometimes what I do to convince myself to nap is I tell myself to do my best sleep acting. <laughs> so I put on a timer for, like, 20 minutes. Oh, I love I, that. Yeah. <laughs> That also, is so good. I can't nap unless there's a timer. Okay, Because yeah. I'm like, oh, is it over yet? But if there's a timer, I'm like, it'll tell me when I'm done. Oh, so good. Yeah. <laughs> and, like, how are things now in 2023? Like, if you look back, you know, to what that year was like after you relapsed. And, and I know that you did have, I guess, another relapse again after having COVID. Mm. How does things look now? Mm. Like day to day, I suppose. It's interesting because, so in July, I performed at Glastonbury in my wheelchair. Oh, cool. Yeah, it was super cool. All of that time that I spent sort of figuring out how to pace and how to make changes to my lifestyle were starting to pay off. Yeah. With my friend Sarah, who I did the barrel escape with, who was amazing. And then... I made it out of Glastonbury without COVID. Yeah. And then a week later, someone who had gotten COVID at Glastonbury (laughs) gave it to me. And it was bad. Yeah. It was really bad. And I got it right before Richard was going back to Canada. So he delayed his flight by a week. And then I sort of started to do a little bit better. And I was like, cool, I'm coming out of it. Like, I'm good. You go to Canada. And then the COVID triggered ME relapse happened. And it was gnarly. Mm -hmm. I was... The closest to bed bound I've ever been. Okay. Some people use the word bed tethered, which I really like. Yeah. But this was like, I, cu- I couldn't, I couldn't stand. Yeah. It was like, I would stagger to where I needed to be and mm-hmm. then sit down. And I was by myself for several months. Things were getting really bad. And someone was like, hey, I work for the police in Scotland. I have the right language to help you get taken seriously by social services. Let's see if we can get you set up with carers. Okay. And so five days a week for an hour, I have a carer who comes in. She does some of the washing up, the... Oh my God, I don't know what country's language to do this in. I'm going to say in North American. She does the dishes and the yeah. laundry. Yeah. <laughs> my brain just went like, UK, Australia, yeah. what Canadian. Are you oh God. Yeah. <laughs> um... Uh, she does some things around the house that helps alleviate some of the stress on Richard. Yeah. Helps alleviate some of the guilt of mine for not mm-hmm. being able to help. Yeah. She makes my lunch and sets me up with a snack for later, which takes a big burden of energy off of me. And so that's continued. So yeah. that's been really helpful. And it's been a, a tough uphill slog since having COVID mm-hmm. to get back to where I was. Um, I'm, I'm not where I was yet. Yeah. Um, and I'm 
definitely deconditioned now. People like to blame Emmy on deconditioning all the time. I was an acrobat and an escape artist. The deconditioning came later. Yeah. <laughs> but it's real now. And it's yeah. really hard to recondition when you're exercise intolerant. Yeah. But I have started to, like, having that big COVID relapse kind of made me finally go, okay, let's just address... Let's, let's just get really depressed for a while and deal with the fact that I might never be able to do the things I used to do again, ever. Yeah. Let's just start from zero. Mm-hmm. Let's just get really depressed and finger paint for a bit and be okay with it looking like trash. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and then like falling asleep with like paint on your fingers yeah. on the sheets. Because <laughs> you finger painted for 10 minutes and it was too exhausting. Yeah. <laughs> and then after a while I was like, okay, I did depressed. Now I need something. And yeah. I did this really, I'm sorry if this is a long answer. I found this, um, this woman who does these like Zoom courses that are called Harness Your Creative Practice. Yes. And uh, it's just, it's not about making anything good. It's just about like having a create, like making time for creativity and having yeah. a creative ritual. Amazing. Yeah. And that really helped me kind of pull myself back into like thinking creatively about the future. Mm-hmm. So yeah, so then I kind of started jotting down more of my thoughts and writing more and I didn't know where it was going to go, but I'm like, I just have to do this because it will take me somewhere. Yeah. So all that is to say, looking back now at where I was before in, (laughs) this is so unkind to my past self, but when I look back at myself in 2019, I'm like, lol, (laughs) you had no idea. Yeah. Oh, I'm sorry, past me. Yeah. And when I look back on the... The 2021 crash before I had the wheelchair. I'm just, I'm just so great. Like that was so hard and depressing. Yeah. I was in a new yeah. country. I didn't have, con- like, couldn't. Yeah. Like it's a seven hour time difference to where I'm from in Canada. Mm-hmm. And it's not a great time difference to my no. friends in New Zealand and Australia no. either. So it was like, <laughs> oh my God. And most of my UK friends don't live in London anymore. No. So it was gnarly. And so I, I guess when I look back at that time, I'm just so grateful that I got a wheelchair. Yeah. Because that really allowed me to start making friends in my neighborhood. Yeah. In my community. Yeah. And I feel like creativity wise, that understandably must have been such a huge shift as well to go from traveling the world, you know, multiple months of the year doing so many shows and gigs and constantly working towards that next goal or that Mm -hmm. next thing that you wanted to do and being able to shift that into like okay well these are the goalposts I do this creative zoom and there's no expectation I'm also really like it sounds really condescending when you say proud but like I am really proud of you for being able to like find that acceptance or find that and be able to shift those goalposts. You're allowed to say that. Well. When the stranger at the grocery store says it, I'm like, <laughs> lady, no. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah. One of the other things that was really hard during that time is, like, I realized I don't have any hobbies. Ah, yes. Yes. Yeah. I and I feel this. Yeah. So, like, I traveled the world working. Yeah. Performing. Yeah. When I wasn't doing that, I was at home making cool creative projects for work. Yeah. And coming up with cool ideas. Or I was, like, going to see shows and stuff. Yeah. And I didn't really have any at-home hobbies, right? So it was, like, not only did I lose my career, like, my hobby was, like, traveling and having adventures. And I was, like, my world is two rooms now. (laughs) Yeah. So I learned to crochet. Amazing. I'm a big fan of crocheted blankets. Yeah, it's pretty good. (laughs) 
It's really good. I made like the perfect wheelchair blanket Excellent. for my wheelchair. It's got magnets on it so that when I put it on yep. my lap, it closes behind my calves. Love that. Yeah, it's funny looking back because I don't know what to say about it other than like, it's such a trip. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. It's just such a trip. Do you ever get nervous to say that you are feeling a little bit better yeah. than what happened? You know, you know, like, do you ever feel nervous about that? Yeah, I was just thinking, as I said that, it's such a trip that, like, one of the things that I still struggle with is how to communicate about this disease. Mm-hmm. Because, one, it's hard for people to get their head around how little I can actually do because so many of my friends from my past life lived at the same speed as me. Yeah. And two, you and I were talking about this before you came over, like... When people ask me how I am, mm. if I if I'm say I'm I'm good, or like if I or if people say like oh like I know you were having a rough few weeks, are you feeling better now? I'm so hesitant to say there's been any improvement because one, I'm afraid of what they're going to expect from me, like what they will assume I am now capable of, yeah. given this improvement, and two, I am so like sad and fearful of disappointing people yeah because one of the things that's really hard about getting sick is you have to process it and grieve it and then you have to watch everyone that loves you go through (laughs) it which was the really weird part about getting a wheelchair is like i knew i was super super sick for a long time but a lot of people didn't realize how sick i was until they saw a wheelchair yeah and i was like guys like i've been like this for three years catch up (laughs) But yeah, so it's it's like it can be really scary to say I'm having a good day mm. because my scale of good is yeah. I mean, I know I know that this is a thing for you too. So if mm. you have a version of saying this, no, tell it, make, me about it, it makes total sense. And I was thinking about the communication aspect mm. of everything as well because you are really open and honest about it on your Facebook page, but also slowly I've noticed you're posting a little bit more on Instagram now as yeah. well. And something that I have noticed when I'm keeping up with, you know, what people are commenting on your posts is that you d- you are definitely very receptive to like the language that they use and you're really like respectfully, you're able to like explain things a little bit more to them or go into a little bit more depth. I think people don't know what to say. Yeah. Like one thing, I hope I'm understanding what you're meaning enough, but one thing that I notice is like, so we have chronic illnesses. Mm. Meaning, we have illnesses that will go for a long time. Yeah. And a lot of the media representation of sickness is that you, if you get seriously sick, you either <laughs> heroically get better or you heroically die. Exactly. People have, they have no frame of reference for like, you just get sick and sometimes you just stay sick. Yeah. So a lot of people, the only things that they know how to say are get well soon. Mm. I've literally had people be like, well, when will you get better? And I've been like, I don't, I don't know. I might be like this forever. And they'll be like, okay, we'll get well soon. I'm like, (laughs) I I just, I'm so sorry. Yeah. Um, Sometimes people will say feel better soon, which is like a little bit better because Mm -hmm. it's like incremental rather than like a bar. Yeah. But I also get so much, and I don't know if this is what you mean about me explaining things to people, but, like, my whole persona of one of my shows was, like, facing adventure and, like, being brave and overcoming challenges. So there's so many people that would be, like, when they found out I was sick, they would be, like, you got this. You just have to have a good attitude. And I was, like, (laughs) if I just had to have a good attitude, 
I would be better. Yeah. <laughs> I would. My I, attitude's great. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, because I was like reflecting on it and like you are taking one for the team, really. Like every time someone comments something a little bit ridiculous, I'm like, yeah, great. And Miranda's going to get in there and she's going to oh. like explain it to them. Whereas my personality is probably a bit like, oh, I roll and yeah. I don't. You know, you know, and so I've I've really commend you on Thank being you. able to do I that to and articulate it. Yeah, Thank you. yeah, yeah, and like how important, and I guess it emphasizes to me like how important language is, yeah. and that it's constantly evolving. And it's great when people that listen to this podcast or yeah. any other sort of chronic illness or disability media that they might consume, and just like to always be learning and always yeah. be adapting because the people that have the lived experiences are the one that can help yeah, yeah navigate that change one of the things i try to keep in mind is that like most people they just don't know yeah and they just don't know because they don't have any exposure one of the things that's been very humbling <laughs> and a little and like embarrassing <laughs> about becoming chronically ill and disabled is realizing all of the ableist stuff I have said in my life. <laughs> Some of which was on the top of a mountain to you once. Sorry. <laughs> um, and it's been so humbling just being yeah. like, oh my God, the things that I said when I didn't know. Yeah. Yeah. Oops. And having to like f- try to find self-compassion for that and then offer that compassion to other people yeah. as well and yeah. be like, they don't know. They probably would like to know. Yeah, exactly. Do I have the energy to yeah. phrase this appropriately right <laughs> yeah. now? Yeah. It just takes so much energy. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So tell us about this app. Okay. So there's this app that I'm so excited about right now. It's not perfect yet. They're still developing it. Mm-hmm. As I understand it, if I'm not mistaken, it came about because there was an app developer who got COVID and then he got long COVID. Ah. And he was like, oh, pacing. There's so many fitness trackers. Surely there'll be an app yeah. for this. And there wasn't. Right. Because most the heart rate monitors and activity trackers are about getting you to do more. Yeah. Not less. Yeah. And so there's this incredible new app out there. It's called Visible. Mm-hmm. I think the basic version is out of beta now. I'm not sure. But the basic version is available for free, I believe, all Amazing. over the world. And it's designed for people with energy limiting conditions. And it's symptom tracking and pacing support. And so... With the basic one, it's designed for ME-CFS and long COVID, but also, like, it, I'm sure it would work for any yeah. energy-limiting, probably some chronic pain, mm-hmm. things like that. So with the basic one, you do an evening check-in where you report all your symptoms. Mm-hmm. And it's all very easy to set up because it's designed for people with yeah, brain right? fog. <laughs> yeah, You report the severity of your symptoms that day, the level of exertion you had. And in the morning, you do this really cool thing where you say how you slept And then it reads your heart rate and your heart rate variance Mm -hmm. through your fingertip using the camera on your phone. Wow. Yeah. Now, for anyone that tries it, give it at least a month because the way that it works, what it then does with that information is it gives you a stability score based on all this data and gives you sort of like, oh, you're trending away from baseline. You might want to pace more carefully today. Mm. Or like, you're on track. Cool. If you've been pacing, keep it up. Wow. Yeah. And so it does, the way it makes those decisions is based on patterns in your data. Right. So you have to do it long enough for it to get accurate. Yeah. There's also an advanced version available to some people in the UK right now. Mm -hmm. I'm on the early access program. 
it's fancy. what this little armband is. Yeah. And it's constant heart rate monitoring. Cool. And then I can look at my heart rate graph and see which activities in the day stressed my body the most. Yeah. And it takes that information, turns it into something called pace points. Right. And then you can set a pace point budget for the day. And there's this little circle that shows how far your pace points have progressed. And then there's like a little white line that I guess is time. Mm -hmm. And so you can see how your pace points are progressing relative to time passing that day and whether or not you're on track to stay on budget for like your energy exertion limits. Yeah. It is so cool. They're so lovely to work with as well. They're so open and receptive to feedback. Mm -hmm. Um, The advanced version is like a little bit expensive because you have to buy heart rate monitor and a subscription. Yeah. Oh, uh, other things I'll say about it is, if I remember correctly, their team now is 50% people with energy limiting conditions. Wow. And they are working on partnering with researchers mm-hmm. so that if you wish, you can opt in to having your data anonymously enrolled in yeah. studies. Cool. Uh, which for conditions that don't have a lot of studies yeah. going on is like really cool. Yeah. Um, and, and so what's your review of it? Having used it for... How long would you have been using this for? I started using the basic version in winter. Which month? I don't know. Yes, Sometime okay. between December and February. Yeah, so like nearly half a year. Yeah, and I've had the armband for probably at least a month now. Mm-hmm. Um, and I love it. Cool. They're still working out some bugs and stuff, but like I said, they're so great to work with. Yeah. Um, and I just, the, their whole idea, the reason it's called Visible, is it's about making invisible illnesses visible. Yeah. And, like, the whole reason I'm getting reinvestigated for POTS is because I went to my doctor and was like, look at what my heart rate does when I stand up. Yeah. And she immediately listened. Yeah. And it also just makes it, it, it's like, when we were talking before about, like, how much time and energy do you spend every day symptom tracking? Mm-hmm. It's like I just get to download some of that effort yeah. out of my brain into an external brain. Yeah, that's it's amazing. It's so nice. That's awesome. Yeah. So my review is, like, Give it a shot. Yeah. Like, go for it. Cool. Yeah. Well, watch this space. We have to learn more about it all. Visible. Yeah. Amazing. I'm about it. You're doing stand-up comedy now. Yeah. One... This is very exciting. Yeah, and terrifying. Yeah. yeah. I would not be able to do that. <laughs> so in my quest to, in that time when I was trying to figure out, like, oh, how do I communicate about this thing? One of the things that I was trying to do is like, how do I communicate about this thing without all the people around me getting sad for me? Yeah. Because yeah. that, like, I love you guys. I appreciate your compassion. Yeah. But like, oh my God, I'm so tired already. Yeah. <laughs> and also too, because there's so much information to communicate about this disease and it's confusing and it's not streamlined. It's like, how do I make comparisons that make sense to people and keep them engaged? Yeah. Also becoming a wheelchair user. What a trip yeah what a trip oh my god being a wheelchair user in public people just walk up to you and give you material yeah so I've had a lot of time to like think about what's funny about my condition and and also in trying to communicate with my friends yeah that gave me opportunities to kind of start running in material yeah cool uh I was thinking about it for at least six months before I actually was like okay I'm gonna go try it and it's so interesting because like for a long time, the idea of like going on stage and trying to be funny on purpose was really daunting. Mm. Which I'm sure a lot of people can yeah. relate to. <laughs> yeah, because I was an escape artist. Like sometimes I was funny, but like if I wasn't, I was like, okay, here's a stunt. You'll yeah. like that. Yeah. But once I actually like started writing stuff and running it past my friends, 
I wasn't actually that nervous to do my first five minute set. I was nervous about like getting my wheelchair to the venue. Mm. Like yeah. before I went and did my first one, actually, uh, there was a night where I, I took the overground, like I took public transit to the venue just to be like, how do I get to the venue? And I drove up to the outside of it and went, good. And then I went home. Yeah. <laughs> and then the next time we went and watched. Yeah. And then I messaged the person and was like, can I come do it? Awesome. Yeah. And how's the reception been? The reception's been really good. Cool. Um, actually, to be honest, like I'm, I'm kind of starting to get a little bit like excited, nervous about like when is my first horrible set gonna be? Mm. Because I think my last set was the worst in terms of remembering my lines and stuff. But all of my years of experience as a performer were coming back enough that yeah. like. Even though I couldn't remember any of my jokes, I was present enough that the audience was, like, so with me. And I was just cool. making them laugh yeah. by my buffering. Yeah. So, like, I kind of died, but also pulled it off. And so I'm like, oh, my God, when am I going to properly <laughs> have my first flop? I, like, you know, it's not that I want it to happen. Yeah. But I'm just like, oh, my God, the longer it goes without it happening, the more I'm like, what's it going to be? Oh, and that is exciting because I love flopping and then accepting the yes. flop. And then that's always so funny. It's so funny. <laughs> I've written this joke about how... um you know, my cells can't make enough, you know, my brain's bad at talking to my body and my cells can't make enough energy to run all the systems at once. Mm -hmm. So I'm like an iPhone five. <laughs> and in that set, I talk about like how like multiple times a day, like my battery's terrible. So multiple times a day, yeah. I have to plug myself into bed to recharge. Yeah. And uh, I love doing that set because at the break, other comedians will come up and go, hey, do you have the energy to chat right now? Oh, so good. That's right? cool. Yeah. So, 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 and pe the reception's been really great from audiences, from other comedians. Mm -hmm. One, I, I don't know, I hope, she, I don't know if she meant it, but one of the gigs that I've been doing, one of the new material nights said she wants to put me on as a headliner next time. <gasps> well, it's exciting. Yeah. So, yeah, the reaction's been really positive. Amazing. It's been a really, it's been a whole new learning curve, though. Yeah. Now I'm trying to go out and have a life again. Mm. How do I find the new balance and the new yeah. strategies for pacing and, and things like that? This is the new adventure. Yeah. How exciting. I can't yeah. wait to see what you get up Thank to you. with this new adventure. I'm really conscious that we have been talking for a while and to not use too much of your energy, which we have been talking about in this episode. But for my final question, yes. I was wondering, is there anything that you wish the general public or people listening to this podcast knew about ME? Hmm. I recently learned about a statistical model called the burden of disease. Are you aware of this? Yes. Uh, yeah? Yeah. So it looks at how many people in a given population have a disease, how many years does it take off their life, how many years of their life do they become disabled and to what degree? Your dallies. Yes, your dallies, which I like to joke, um, disability adjusted life years, dolly, or um, how many years of your life does it turn into a Salvador Dali painting? <laughs> and just how melted is the clock? Can I use that in my essays? <laughs> <laughs> sure. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Of course you know about this because you're doing your health thing. <laughs> and, and so it, if I understand it correctly, you probably know more about it than I do, but it, it looks at the the burden of a given disease on a whole population and me is in the u.s and the uk at least on par or worse than they're very vague with the statistics yeah. i think because they don't want people to start fighting yeah <laughs> but is on par or worse than ms and hiv 
Yeah. And yet only receives 7% of the research funding in both the U.S. and the U.K. to what would be commensurate to the burden of disease. Mm -hmm. And the reason I bring this up is that I think the main thing that I want people to know about ME is that it's really serious. People are really sick and you don't see them because most of us are too sick to leave our houses. Yeah. And I'm not saying this to say pity me. Mm-hmm. It's just that as far as invisible diseases go, we're pretty invisible. Yeah. And just like go easy on us and believe us and don't be a jerk. <laughs> yeah. Yes. <laughs> absolutely yeah i'm gonna need to like go and win lotto and be able to give all of this money so that we can research more and have more understanding there's so many diseases that need more money yeah oh can i say one other thing of course you can one of the reasons that people all the time one of the things that people quote when they're like oh but me doesn't really exist is they're like there's no diagnostic test mm. because there are things that we can diagnostically like we can test to identify these are common things that happen in people with me but there's no like one thing that's like this is the me test yeah and people say like oh that means it's not real <laughs> it's a diagnosis of exclusion yeah so like so at, many diseases yeah they look at the have... symptom profile yeah. right and then they run a bunch of tests to rule out other things and then mm. they exclude everything else and they diagnose and for people that often say it's a diagnosis, that that's not a real thing, I, I say, you know what else is a diagnosis of exclusion? <laughs> Parkinson's. Yeah. No one is denying Parkinson's. Yeah. Which is, a, for me, just a, it's just a useful, you know, I'm not comparing ME to Parkinson's other than diagnostic method, but it's just a useful way of going, hey, yeah. you know this thing that Michael J. Fox has done an amazing job of letting everyone know about? It's diagnosed the same way as that. Yeah, exactly. And yeah. it just really highlights communication and how that's something that we've decided we understand yeah and so hopefully we'll get to the point where me is also at that level where it's like people have decided yes okay we understand that yeah 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 it's definitely a lot of food for thought in this podcast episode and i just want to thank you so much for sharing your story with me and everybody listening at home i'm just so excited that we could do this in person as well i haven't seen you in like three years yeah it's been a long time no more than three years 2019 yeah we're 2023 now yeah it's probably been like three and a half years yeah january 2019 to now yeah holy smokes i know but thank you so much thank you thanks for taking an interest yay And of course, a huge thank you to you for listening to this episode of That's So Chronic. If you're new around here, That's So Chronic is a weekly podcast with new episodes on Tuesdays where I help share patient stories. Make sure you've pressed follow on Spotify or Apple Podcasts. That really helps the show grow, but it also means that you will never miss an episode. If you're interested in sharing your story with me and the thousands of listeners around the world, head to the show notes and fill out the Google form. Thanks again for being here and listening. You are all amazing and I'll see you next week.